0: Please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 2 if you're not there yet. I'm going to take a rather quick tour, a reminder of our journey so far. If you're visiting with us, we are continuing through this journey of Philippians. A couple themes that we've highlighted along this journey so far. A couple of these stops that we've made and and really spent time just just reminding ourselves of the text over and over again. Here they are. First of all, this concept of a gospel-centered life. In other words, everything we do in our lives revolves around the hub of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We intentionally, by God's grace, try to undermine the temptation to make ourselves central. But to make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ central to the wheel that turns in our lives. What happens when we do that? Well, we find through the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 that we will live with this this grace-driven humility. Humility that is seen so clearly in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what happens when this life of humility is embraced? We see a natural side effect, a natural application is unity in the body. So we've talked about a gospel-centered life. We've talked about unity through humility. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the supreme example of humility found in Jesus Christ. We've talked about because of that, now we have this dependent effort. We put dependent effort into this humility. This humility is not going to be based just on how you feel when you get up in the morning. I think all of us can attest that we don't often feel in the morning like we want to just get along with everybody. Not natural to the way we feel when our head pops off that pillow. But what it takes by God's grace is the fact that the Spirit of God is compelling us now towards this humility, this gracious kindness in our lives. That's what this passage is about. We saw that lived out in the life of Jesus. We saw this lived in this exhortation, this imperative to dependent effort. By the way, if you turn your hand out over, I think it might have been missing last week. Here it is today. You can kind of see some of the things I'm highlighting there on this journey. Then last week, we had the joy of discussing this concept in the scriptures of exchanging complaint for joy. I don't know about you, but that verse, that one phrase, do all things without complaining and arguing, has been going on in my mind all week long. The natural temptation of my heart, as, as it's consistent with the culture around us, a complaining culture, a comfort culture, the natural temptation of my heart is just to find something negative about the situation I'm in and to let everybody know. Well, according to this verse, when God gets a hold of our hearts, when the gospel is truly centered to everything we do, when we truly consider the humility of Jesus Christ is to transform every decision of our lives We will obey this verse that says, do all things without complaining and arguing. Wow! My toes are still purple from what God's done. Stomping on my toes about that thing. Constant reminders. Do all things without complaining and arguing. Now, today, as we continue on in the flow of this journey, this text, we see this humility This humility of Jesus Christ lived out in a very practical way. I love what we're about to study this morning. We're going to see this humility lived out. I mean, in in some instances, in my mind, I implant myself into the Church of Philippi. And you're going through the book, and you're like, I can't, really? That humility, preferring others before myself. How? How? That humility that leads me to do all things without complaining and arguing. Really? And I know it's got to be the Holy Spirit of God working in my life. But in my mind, I want to see, can this be done by someone other than Jesus? I know I'm a Jesus person because, I've, because he's, he's changed my heart. But is there practical evidence that there's a life that can be lived out in humility? And Paul, it's like he anticipates the question, Because it's a dynamic yes. And so this morning we're going to see, as is on the screen up there, we're going to see the example of a young man in the faith. His name is Timothy. A young man that grasped this concept of humility. And he grasped the concept of serving. Being a servant. Think about that with me for a minute. What comes to mind when you see these two words? I mean, historically, these are very negative terms, are they not? When we, when we, when we talk in, about this slave or this servant mentality, it's a very oppressive thing to talk about. We don't want to often go there. Uh, there's some dark times in the history of the United States that, had, that was wrapped around this. Um, through the dark ages, through different um, uh, status cultures and tiers of culture living, slave servant, is not something we want to talk very, very happily about. It's not something we run to often. But I want to say this as you go to the New Testaments of, of Scripture, this is actually a concept, a term that more or less is somewhat glamorized. It's seen through a very positive light. When our culture around us is saying, no, 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 don't ever think of this in a positive term in regard to now you're bringing yourself under the leadership of someone else. You're doing something to help someone else. Why? Because we live, as as we heartily acknowledge, in a very self-centered culture. It's all about Me and what I can do to put my best foot forward. What I can do to climb that ladder, to get to the top. What I can do to highlight my name in history. That is the culture in which we live. But this concept because of Jesus Christ, this concept in this passage, because of the center being the gospel, because of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that humbled himself... This concept that drives us to do all things without complaining and arguing. This concept now is wrapped around another word, and it is the word slave or servant. Thinking through that this week, like I said last week, I love to read. I started pulling books off my shelf. A couple that I particularly pulled off. One of them was a a book by a man by the name of Warren Wiersbe. Have you ever heard of Warren Wiersbe? B-series? He died earlier this year, May of this year. Godly man that did a lot of writing. He wrote a book that I read as an intern, a pastoral intern back when I was in college. I started to transform my way of thinking about this concept, servant. He wrote a book called On Being a Servant of God. I believe it was one of the last five books he wrote in his life. Uh, There's possibly more that came after that, but a substantial book in his life on being a servant of God. All of these other volumes he had written, and now it comes down to in his life, how does ministry work? You know how ministry works? It works as we embrace the role of a servant. A servant of Christ." You know what transformed this concept of slave servant from negative to positive is what happens underneath that phrase right there. It is a servant of Jesus Christ. Another book I pulled off my shelf this week was one written by John MacArthur called "Slave." Anybody read that book called "Slave? <laughs> the Hidden Identity." Or the hidden truth about your identity in Christ. So a lot of times we like to patty cake around this concept of slave. And John McCarthy in this book says, no, you go right at it because this is your calling as a as a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a slave to Jesus Christ. This is not necessarily something we choose just because we like to do that this day. No, this is our calling in life is to be a servant of Jesus Christ. At the end of his book, he takes these historic figures. And he, and he kind of points out through history some of these ones that have lived their life as a slave or as a servant of Christ. He highlights uh, some of the church fathers, Polycarp and John Chrysostom and uh, Augustine. And then he works into modern theology with a guy named Charles Hodge and one of my personal favorites, Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. McLaren, Lenski, Campbell, J. Campbell-White, then one that we'll talk about maybe a little bit more next week, Jim Elliott. I love the story of Jim Elliott. And he highlights these different ones who've given their life to serve Jesus Christ. He highlights those, and sometimes in our mind we think being a servant of God is just those ones who are employed by the church. No, 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 no. A servant of Jesus Christ are ones who live every day in normal living, but they serve a different master. It's Jesus Christ. I pulled another book off my shelf this week. Uh, It's seven volumes into one. So it's a pretty big volume. I have not read all the way through it. Um, Written by a fellow by the name of John Piper. 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. I love the title. I could just stop with the title. 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy. And here's the, here's the, um, the sub-theme, the subtitle: title Faithful, Flawed, and Fruitful. Yes! That's how I feel. I want to be faithful. I know I'm flawed, but by God's grace, I want to be fruitful. And he highlights 21 different characters through history that devoted their life, no matter what was in front of them, to serving Christ. I mean, he goes through some uh, we've talked of recently, like David Brainerd, John Newton, Charles Simeon, a fella, a guy named William Wilberforce who made waves when it comes to the words up there, slave and servanthood in history. Not talking about Christian slavehood as well. Guy named Macham, guy named Tyndall, Pat, Patton, Adniram Judson. I love the story of Adniram Judson. George Whitfield, one of the preachers in history, that I love to hear his story. Deeply proclaiming, and thousands hearing without one of these little devices, these microphones, he could proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly. Charles Spurgeon, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, individuals through history. That have given their lives as servants of Jesus Christ. I know John Piper focused more on these men as proclaimers and pastors, but I want to tell you there are some of the most faithful servants of God in this in history that have been women. <laughs> women who've diligently lived out the gospel of Jesus Christ in very tangible ways. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this concept up here is one we have to consider. The question is this, am I a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ? In in, day-in, day-out behavior, am I a servant of Jesus Christ? History is saturated with godly people that were slaves of Jesus Christ, but that Bible you hold in front of you, it's saturated with individuals, common people who live their lives as a servant of God's will, serving Jesus Christ. And guess what, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to talk of one of them today. His name is Timothy. Would you go with me to the text? Philippians 2, 19 through 24. And I want us to think of Timothy in regard to this concept of servant. By the way, what's the first phrase of the book of Philippians? Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Paul, including Timothy, in his mission who live out the gospel. Now we see it expanded in chapter 2. Let me, if you would follow along as I read verse 19, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served. That's the word servant found in verse 1. He has do lost. <laughs> he is a servant. He has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. What does Paul say here in verse 19? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So what's in context here is humility lived out in a very practical way. Now we see this example in the life of Timothy. Um, I've included several passages there on the top of your handout. Uh, we will not go through all of those this morning. You're probably sitting there saying, thank the Lord. Um, We have food in the crock pot. (laughs) That restaurant is calling your name. (laughs) So we're not going to go through all of those passages today. We'll be here till 5 this evening. But I put them on there to help this week. If you're looking for passages to read, would you go through and read some of these? Because what this does, it gives a biographical sketch of this fellow Timothy. I'm going to highlight some of them right now. But we're not going to go in depth to these passages. Basically, if I can give some snapshots of this guy's life, some historical snapshots, what do we know of Timothy? Who is this dude? This Timothy is a young man from a town called Lystra. In our minds right away as we read through the book of Acts, it should engage a couple thoughts when you say Lystra. This is not necessarily one of those Jesus people places. This is filled with idol worship. In fact, in our minds, we can, we can travel, actually. I put on there Acts 16. In Acts 16, we find a description of Timothy. This is great because this is right before Paul goes to visit Philippi. He picks up a fellow in the faith whose name is Timothy. What do we find out about Timothy in Acts chapter 16? I'll just read this. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, he says a disciple was there, a follower of Jesus was there, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. There's a lot packed into that phrase. He was well-spoken by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. If you follow up in 2 Timothy 1, we find this, I am reminded, Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. Timothy a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you. What's happening here? Paul is highlighting the fact that Timothy, he didn't have ideal family situation. He grew up with a dad very possibly that was godless in Lystra. Very possibly he had died at this point. This family home wasn't golden, so sometimes in our minds we paint this picture of a servant of God that has to have everything right in the home life. Has to grow up without learning all of the cubby verses, all of the, you know, all of the one verses all of these things, and get all of these things right in order to serve God as a primary slave of Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is, Timothy didn't have a dad in his home that was saying, love Jesus, Timothy. Timothy, you got to love Jesus, Timothy, we're going to church today to worship. We're going to congregation to worship. Who served the servant Timothy by teaching him the word? His mom and his grandma. I love that. That's found in Acts chapter 16. Well, in our minds, I said, if we trigger this concept of Lystra, what happened a couple chapters before? In our minds, we think of this place, Lystra. Paul enters, he preaches the gospel, he sees this man healed by God's grace. This is on his first missionary journey. The community is wowed by Paul healing a crippled man, so wowed that they want to worship him as a god. Do you remember this story? This is Lystra. This is where Timothy grew up, and the culture around them was so driven t- toward idolatry that as soon as something major happened, they're like, wow, let's worship them. And what does Paul do? Paul says, stop it. Do not worship me. I'm pointing to the one that you are to worship. And then things go from really good to really bad real quick for Paul. What happens? Some Jews come and follow and they come into Lystra and they point the finger at Paul. And right away, what's happening to Paul is going from being attempted to be worshipped by the whole community, now to be torn, taken by the Jews and stoned, drug out of town and left as dead. This is what happens to Paul in Lystra. Paul laying there. The disciples now come around him. And I want to mention this. The disciples come around Paul and minister to him. Paul had just said one of the disciples in Lystra was a young man by the name of whom? Timothy. Very possibly Paul. Timothy stood in the background as he sees this godly man stoned, killed, left for dead outside the city. I love this. What happens to Paul? The disciples come and minister to him. He pops back up, maybe shrugs his shoulders and like, oh man, that hurt real bad. He walks back into town. I love it. He walks back into town I mean, a lot of us would think he's out of there. He walks back into town, spends some time with the believers, and then he goes on to the next place of ministry. Later to come back. This is on the first missionary journey. If you highlighted Acts 14, 22 in your minds, what did Paul do with the disciples in Lystra? Here's what he did. He strengthened the souls of the disciples, including Timothy. Paul is discipling Timothy. Timothy. He strengthened their souls, encouraging them, and here's how he encouraged them. Take special note of this, would you? He didn't encourage them and say, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to look just right for you. I mean, I believe Timothy probably walked with a bit of a limp, maybe drooping eyes from all the scars all over his body. How did he encourage the disciples? He said this, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through much are through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) The disciples there, he's teaching them about Jesus, and he says, guess what? It hurts real bad, but it's worth it. Living for Jesus is worth it. He He passes this baton onto this dude, Timothy, and Timothy takes it and runs with it. So that's on the first missionary journey. Timothy, a young man in the faith, I believe, watching this mentor. His jaws drop to his chest. His eyes are bulging as he's watching this man, Timothy, almost lose his life. And then get back up and go back into town. He's like, you're the man, Paul. I can't believe you just did that. Tend to return and preach again in that same town? Teaching us that we must go through tribulations in our spiritual life? And this Timothy is soaking it in. He's embracing this mindset of true Christianity lived out as a servant of Jesus Christ. What happened in Timothy's life, as you go on through the story, we find that Paul now returns to Lystra and he sees this Timothy who's growing in Jesus. He's starting to teach people and he says, Timothy, would you come with me? Timothy jumps on the bandwagon with Luke and Silas and other travelers with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. And guess what one of the first major stops of the second missionary journey is? Well, we're studying the book of Philippians. It's Philippi. Timothy goes to Philippi, and he's so excited about ministry, and now he gets to love the people at Philippi. The church of Philippi know about this guy, Timothy. Timothy's a big deal to them. He's a young preacher, passionate about the ways of the Lord. When we think about Timothy's life, we also want to realize that, uh, I mean, Paul calls him his son in the faith, we acknowledge that, but he learned very well a gospel-centered life from Paul. How to suffer well, how to live life consumed with the next life, not just the here and now. How to realize that the things of this world are temporary. The things of Jesus are eternal. Timothy was soaking this in. I believe with a big smile on his face he's soaking these things in. Then Paul to Timothy very clearly says to this Timothy, Timothy, in this life, in the ministry that God's given you, don't teach your own thoughts. Teach and proclaim the word of God. We know this passage. Paul to Timothy says this Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. Timothy, hold on to the scriptures with all you've got. Why? Because there's all people around you that want to attack true theology. And where are you going to find it? In the word of God. Timothy was learning these things. So a servant of Jesus Christ is soaking in the word as we see in Timothy's life. I love this because Timothy, he was prone to fear. And in our minds, we want to think of Timothy as this like like very confident guy. Up front, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. In the scriptures, this is not how Timothy is depicted. He's he's full of timidity and fear, actually. But he knows what to do, the right thing is to promote Jesus. But Paul clearly tells him. I mean, we know the passages. You, in, in the passage, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says this. Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, and love, and faith, and purity. I love what Paul says to Timothy. For God has not given us the spirit of what, Timothy? Fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This man, Timothy, the servant of Jesus Christ, he didn't have it all together. He had fear. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. <laughs> I can be a servant of God and not have all of it together just the way it should be. I can serve God with an open, willingness, heart, willing heart, realizing that God is gracious to the flawed. God can use broken things like me. This Timothy was a humble servant of Jesus Christ. Again, I want to remind all of us that the first phrase of this book in Philippians, because we're going to come back to Philippians now, the first phrase is, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. What about this concept of servant? This comes from a word, "do loss." The basic meaning is slave, but it also advances to what's known as a bond servant. This has a wide range of meaning in the New Testament Greek, a wide range of meaning. But as Christians started using the term, it started to develop more towards one side of the definition. So this concept of bond servant meant one could make a willing commitment to slavery and service. In other words, you were employed to live as a servant for a certain amount of years. When you finished serving your task, your years, you could step away as a slave with that pay. Well, some would step away with that pay, pay, others would be in it for the long haul. And they would now say, I am yours. I am, I, I'm going to work willingly for you. And as we think about the Christian community, they started to embrace that side of the description of due loss. That side of the description of bond servant. So it's not necessarily just a, a, a forcefully owned slave. It is a willingly owned slave. Not someone that's driven by obligation as much as someone that's driven by admiration. This is the New Testament slave. And the Christian community started to embrace that concept of slave. Paul would use this over and over again. Now, have you ever stopped? Let's just bring it to the home front here. Have you ever stopped to consider the calling on our lives to be slaves? You know, honestly, when we go through the New Testament, we like to embrace different metaphors that describe us. Here's one we like to embrace. I love talking about in Ephesians, I am a son, I am an heir of the king. Yeah, I like that one. Sometimes we get super uh, super spiritual and we're like, "Yep, we're kingdom of priests," because that's in the scripture. Which is good. We are a kingdom of priests under the high priest Jesus. Sometimes we get super confident and we're like, "I'm going to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. Bring it on, Satan," right? You know? Bring it in on dark side. We embrace the concept of being a soldier for Jesus Christ. Which is good. But have we ever ever stopped and realized that God has called us to embrace the role of slave, servant to Jesus Christ? I want to take some time this morning. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these points. We're going to go pretty quickly through them. I'm going to try to go full throttle. So hold on as we go through this. But after highlighting the life of Timothy, I want to look at some characteristics of servanthood from the life of Timothy. Can you take the next 15 minutes with me and just engage in these characteristics? What does a servant look like? Here's three characteristics from the life of of Timothy, realizing that still, although Timothy is highlighted here, this is not a passage all about Timothy. It's a passage all about Jesus Christ. Can we recognize that from the onset? This is about Jesus Now we're talking about a servant of Jesus. Here's a couple characteristics we can look at today. First of all, a humble servant of Christ is one who genuinely cares for others. Paul says, verse 20, For I have no one like him, some of your translations will say no one like-minded, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul is in prison and he's talking to the church in Philippi about this fellow Timothy and he's writing to them and I can imagine as, as uh, the quill touches the paper, I can imagine that possibly tears are coming to Paul's eyes as he thinks about those in Philippi, his friends, his loved ones, those who have come to Jesus, who've come to Jesus by faith. Now he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you, and you know what? I don't know a single person that will love you with genuine care like Timothy. (laughs) Wow! He says this, for, let's just highlight some of these phrases, for I have no one like him. Basically, in regard to Paul's passion and concern for believers at at Philippi, no one was truly and fully like-minded and of a kindred spirit as Paul. Paul could look at Timothy, and it's almost like without saying a word, Timothy was like, yep, I got you, Paul. <laughs> you ever been around someone like that in ministry? He's kind of just look at them, and it's like, yep, this is what we got to do. That's Paul to Timothy. Timothy is such a servant that even in the tough situations of ministry, Paul looked at Timothy, and Timothy's like, maybe he rolled his eye a little bit, but he's like, yep, got this, Paul. I'm on it. <laughs> no one like-minded I love this because uh, no one compared to Timothy's genuine interest for the believers at Philippi. Paul continues on, who will will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? If I could highlight those two words, genuinely concerned, starting with the one genuinely. This is sincerely, truly, authentically. In other words, Paul's saying Timothy's the real deal and you know it. Timothy is untainted. You don't have to look at Timothy and what he's saying and wonder, okay, that's what he's saying that's coming out of his mouth, but is that really how he feels? Paul's saying there's no one who genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned. That concept of concerned. Sorry, I want to go back one. That concept of concerned is a concept of care for. I mean, it's it's thought about. It actually has tied ties to the word anxious. I love that thought, because Paul's saying to the church in Philippi, there's no one who's genuinely anxious about you like Timothy. He really thinks about you guys. He really cares about you. What's the point? We could say a lot more about this, but here's a simple point. A humble servant of Christ genuinely cares about the needs of others. Okay, so we like to paint this pie-in-the-sky thought of a servant of Jesus Christ, but the ideal is this, the idea is this, am I that disciple? Am I that servant? I think so often the temptation when, it, when we're confronted with a need in the body of Christ is to kind of take it at face value. And I think we all know what we're talking about. Have you ever talked to somebody, and you're pouring out your heart, and you're like, okay, I'm going to open up. This is one of those closets in my heart that I'm going to open up, one of those corners in my heart that I'm going to open up and just share this genuine hurt, and you're opening up and sharing this genuine hurt, and you're looking at this, pouring out your heart to this person, and they have the same little smile and response the whole time, like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. They want to just get through the conversation. Have you ever been through something like that? Sadly, I know it's temptation of all of our hearts at one point. Just agreeing to go on to the next person. You know what a humble servant of Jesus Christ does. Genuinely concerned for other people's well-being. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's hurt that's in this room right now. There's some that didn't come to congregation today because that pain is so real. The question is this: How genuine are we? about the pain of other people in the congregation. How genuine are we as servants of Jesus Christ to care often, authentically for the needs of others in the body? Sometimes the temptation is to say, oh, that's the elder's job or the deacon's job. They're actually called deacon servers. No, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is the job of the entire body of Christ to genuinely care for others in the congregation. The question is this, do I truly care for others in this room? Do I truly care for others in this community? Not in a superficial plastic way, but in a genuine way of, can you, I care for you, brother. <clears throat> Let's go on to another one. A humble servant of Christ, as is seen in the life of Timothy, selflessly seeks the interests of Jesus Christ. This is massive when it comes to being a servant of Jesus Christ. <laughs> So often we're like, we want to sign up for the servant thing until it comes to the pain that's involved. We want to sign up for the servant thing until it comes to something that doesn't fit into my personal agenda of how life should look. Now Paul says, this guy, Timothy, he's interested in you and he's interested in the things of Jesus. Okay, quick time out. What are the things of Jesus? What's the way of Jesus? It's already said in this chapter. He prefers others before himself. Jesus came as a servant and died. He sacrificed. And Paul says of this Timothy, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So this is a massive, broad brush stroke by Paul. Basically, he's saying in comparison to Timothy, everyone else is missing the mark because Timothy is getting it. Timothy is genuine about showing interest in other believers, And and I love the actual terminology here. He says, for they all seek. Uh, The word seek is to be be consumed with the strive for something. To actually investigate or to pursue something. To diligently look for something. A servant of Jesus Christ diligently looks for ways to serve. For ways to meet people's needs. uh, By way of, you know an illustration. Last night, we had a blast at our house. Uh, had the teen group over. And uh, we'd set up a little game where they went out and found all these pumpkins out there. I enjoyed watching this and watching the different responses of different teams uh, as they were working through looking for these little pumpkins. Some of them were doing it, and and this is acknowledged, you know. Some of them were definitely more into it just for the fun and the laughs, and uh, one particular fellow was out there to scare everyone else. It was great, (laughs) all right. Some of them were out there, you know, just to hang out with their friends, and they're more caught up in conversation, which is great. That's why we do these activities. I'm going to tell you another person that was out there. uh, My son David's up in the CPK, so I can speak for just a minute. I'll tell him I said this later my son David fourth grade he was so stoked that Lane had asked him they needed an extra player on the team and he was like what I can play my son David's in it to win it no one knows our property or the acres on our property like him I mean he's always out there with his metal detector trying to find something or trying to shoot something with his bow and arrow and he's like I get to play okay And so maybe some of the teens are going around the property just enjoying conversation stuff and coming back. I mean, David was probably looking under every single tree, every single log that's laying down in every piece of grass, finding these pumpkins. He's looking hard. Okay, by way of comparison, that's a ridiculous illustration, but there's some in the body of Christ that are out there just to have fun, right? We don't enjoy. And that's good to have fun in the body of Christ. There's others in the body of Christ, that are diligent about turning over every log, trying to find other ways to find ways to genuinely serve the body of Christ. And Paul says, there's one he's seeking people to serve. That's Timothy. You know, by God's grace, we are ones in the body of Christ that are seeking, looking, diligently looking for ways to serve each other in the body of Christ. Paul says, for they all seek their own interests. This is their, their own stuff, They want their own stuff, their their own concerns, their own circumstances. The emphasis is on the word own. He says, not those of Jesus Christ. This is a Jesus ethic that drives ministry. And Paul is saying there's some out there that are all about their own agenda. Even those who are Christians, even those who ministered with Paul, who are all about their own agenda, not about Jesus' agenda. What's What's a simple takeaway Brothers and sisters, let us be a body of Christ that seeks out others, that seeks out the interests of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ will not just go through the motions, not just check off that church was done, but will truly live like Jesus lived. How? By truly seeking the cares, concerns, and interests of others by diligently serving Jesus, by serving Jesus' people. That's what the servant does. I want to remind you of a term, Frank and I talk often of this, a term that was mentioned about three months ago, a term I love to think in regard to the body of Christ, and I'll wrap this up pretty quickly here. Uh, Soccer is a big deal in my life. I love soccer. We had a term from when I was young to older, and that is the term being field aware. A coach would yell this to us often, talk of this often, and I found myself then later on as a coach thinking and telling all the kids about this, all the college students that I coached, we constantly talked of being field aware. In my mind as a player, this was going through my mind. What does it mean to be field aware? There are certain soccer players that all they can see is five feet around them. Their head is straight down on the ball. Maybe they see the pass 10 yards away from them, but that's all they see. There's other players, when we get the ball at their foot, they're pulling it up and they're looking. They can see the 50-yard run. Someone making the cut through the space 50 yards away and they can put the ball there. They see the defense coming 20 yards away and the way the defense is setting up and they can adjust appropriately. They see the whole field set up. This is what's known as being field aware. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to tell you, I believe Timothy in this passage was field aware. What does that mean? He saw needs more than those people that were five feet in front of him. He saw the things set up in the church. And I believe he's the type of guy that would come to a congregation and, yes, say hi to those people around him. But he would notice that person in the far side of that get-together that was struggling emotionally that day Timothy's the kind of guy that would make a beeline to that person and say hey brother how can I pray for you hey sister how can we encourage you today that's what it means to be field aware a servant of Jesus Christ is one who selflessly seeks the interests of Jesus Christ and let's wrap up this thought on these characteristics of a servant from Timothy's life with this concept a humble servant of Jesus Christ not only genuinely cares for others not only selflessly seeks the interest of Jesus Christ, but then this one, very clear in this passage, he faithfully supports gospel-centered leadership. Here's what you can say about this. Paul trusted this guy. (laughs) Paul trusted him. We can walk all the way through this, but he says, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son, with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I love this. Yesterday, we were cleaning up some trees before the teens came over. Uh, that windstorm that we had talked about, yeah, we, we had some some tree work to do after that one. <laughs> one of the big trees in front of our house blew over, and so I'm out there cutting it up, and getting my daughters involved, and my son, and I'm working yesterday. We're running around doing some stuff, cutting it up, and I look over, and I see my son, David. He's on the four-wheeler, trailing around, getting this stuff, getting these logs and different things, and my heart just kind of smiled. I trust that he knows. I've already given him instruction what to do with that stuff. He's taking the wood and putting on the slash pile, even though it may have uh, more to that story, but (laughs) he's doing it. I walk in the house, and You know, my my daughter, Selah and Kara, at different stages, have helped their mom clean up after breakfast and do different jobs and straighten up around the house. Maybe it's not the exact way that mom would do it, but you know what? They tried hard. They did the task that was at hand. And I look at Timothy's life as a father with a son, like a mother with a daughter who's helping. Paul sits back and he said, this guy, he gets it. I'm a dad that can trust this guy to get it done. This son is, is helping me out, and that's what Paul says of Timothy. We could say a lot more with this, but he says he served me, he do lost well. He, he was a servant well, he helped me. Um, Paul says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Remember the co- context here. Paul is in Roman prison. Timothy is ministering to him and to others, and Paul says, I want to send him, and I trust him. I can send him to you 800 miles away, and I know he will serve just as if I was present there. I trust him. You know, a servant of Jesus Christ is trusted by those in spiritual leadership in their lives. A lot more can be added to this, but a simple application is this. As a servant of Christ, do I cause burden and grief for spiritual leadership in my life? Or does spiritual leadership in my life look at me and say, yeah, I can trust that guy. That guy will stick to the plan. That guy will get it done by God's grace. So when we take all of this passage, what can we summarize it down as we close up? Maybe one statement. We call this our our key idea. If you take all of this passage down to one statement, what would it be? And I would think it would have to be something like this. We should embrace the role of a servant. Pretty simple, right? Easier said than done, right? In my life, I think of that often. I want to embrace the life of a servant of Jesus Christ, but what it comes down to is one choice at a time. To serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, within context. When we're talking about the beginning part of Philippians traveling into this passage we'd have to say something like this as we live out the humility of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we all of us should embrace the role of a servant I want us to be reminded as you close this out today of, of a couple passages even before we get to this so what do you remember what Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew 23 to the crowds and to his disciples, what does he say? The greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. This is a Jesus ethic thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What did that come after in John? It comes after Jesus Christ himself had just washed the disciples' feet prior to going to the cross. And Jesus says, for I have given you an example. And whoever humbles himself, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus Christ served. So in my mind, I think if Jesus served, I probably should do the same. I'm reminded of this passage that we studied a couple weeks ago. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If Jesus humbled himself, I should humble myself. So what? A couple quick questions to consider as we go our way today. Am I a servant of Jesus Christ? Truly ask yourself this. Have I fully embraced this call? And what am I talking about? What about at home? I'm going to tell you, one of the hardest places to be a servant of Jesus is when we walk in our front door. (laughs) Do I serve my family well like Jesus serves? What about at work? Do we serve Jesus at work? What about in the community of Reading? Not just saying it, but doing it. I know there are some in this body right now that diligently serve the needs of the community of Reading. Even to those people who don't have as good a smile as you do. <laughs> those people who don't, aren't quite as well off as you are. Those people who may annoy you. What about in the body of Christ? Do we serve people sitting around us in very tangible ways? What does it take to serve? Here's what it takes it takes time, energy, or resources, and sometimes all three. Do I serve with my time? Do I serve with my energy? Do I serve with my resources? Resources come in a whole big package of things. Not just, in our minds, we think right right away finances, but there's so much more to resources than just finances. Do I serve with my time, my energy, my resources, the body of Christ? Am I a humble servant of Christ who genuinely cares, who's field aware? And am I a humble servant of Christ who selflessly cares? supports. As we live out the humility of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us pray God's grace that we should embrace the role of a servant.